This is the Tudor's Dynasty Podcast. And now, Rebecca Larson. A Brief History is a supplemental episode of the Tudor's Dynasty Podcast. On this episode, we cover Francis Lovell, first Viscount Lovell. Our guest host for this episode is author Michelle Schindler. A Brief History is a little different than the regular episodes and that guest hosts do all the talking because, let's face it, they're the experts on the subjects. These episodes are also a little bit shorter in length as well. And with that, here is A Brief History, Francis Lovell. Uh, my name is Michelle Schindler. I'm the author of the book Lovell Our Dark, a biography of Francis Lovell, first Viscount Lovell. Most of you probably know that Viscount Lovell was the closest friend of Richard III. The two of them met when Francis was only eight years old, when they were both wards of Richard's cousin, the Earl of Warwick, and their relationship built from there. When Richard became king, Francis received many favors and positions from him. Most importantly, Francis was Richard's Lord Chamberlain. So naturally, when Richard died on the 22nd of August at the Battle of Bosworth, it was a massive loss for Francis, since he lost not only his best friend, but also his access to the inner workings of the government. One might think that the loss was a political one as well as a personal one. But it was soon to turn out that for Francis, the personal trumped the political by far. Francis's first action after Richard's death at Bosworth was an unsurprising one. Seeing that the battle was lost, he, together with two other supporters of the Yorkist side, the brothers Humphrey and Thomas Stafford, escaped to avoid being taken prisoner by the victorious Tudor side. They went to St. John's Abbey in the city of Colchester, where they claimed sanctuary. That they went there, rather than finding an abbey somewhat closer to the battlefield, was probably because of two reasons. For one, St. John's Abbey, much like Westminster Abbey, had extended rights of sanctuary which means that those seeking shelter there could stay for however long they chose, rather than the 40 days usually allowed by the normal rites of sanctuary. The second reason was that St. John's Abbey had an abbot who was known to strongly support the Yorkist side. His name was Walter Stansted. It is quite possible that from the first, Francis and the brother Stafford intended to make trouble for the newly made King Henry VII, and they hoped that they would find a supporter in Abbot Stansted, which indeed they later did. It is equally possible that Henry VII feared they would take such an action, and that this is why he, soon after his victory at Bothworth, offered Francis a pardon, a chance to continue living as he had before Richard III had come to the throne, as a rich, politically insignificant nobleman. Perhaps, however, he made that offer not out of fear, but simply because he wished to have a man who had been close to Richard within the fold, so to speak. We do not know why he made the offer, but we do know that Francis rejected this. This was a significant decision for him. Francis had been a rich man even before Richard came to the throne. By rejecting Henry's pardons, he gave up immense riches. He also gave up the chance to live a quiet life, much as he had done under Edward IV with his wife. By rejecting Henry's pardon, he chose to be attainted. That means stripped of all rights. Yet, this is what he chose. There was no bending the knee to the man who had killed his best friend for Francis. He would not swear fealty to him, and so, in Henry's first parliament, Francis was attainted. Henry may have thought that the matter was settled with this, but if so, he was very much mistaken. Francis was by no means content to simply try and flee the country, having made his opinion on Henry clear with this rejection. 
On the contrary, in the month after Bothworth, he and the brother Stafford began planning a rebellion. They were not the only discontent ones in the country after Henry VII's accession, which must have given them hope. There were hot spots of trouble, especially in the north of the country and, interestingly, in Wales, with which Henry had to deal in the first month of his kingship. Perhaps it helped Francis and the brother Stafford that the government was busy elsewhere. In any case, they, presumably with the help of Abbot Stansted, who knew the city and its inhabitants, started recruiting men from the city of Colchester for a rebellion. However, their search for supporters was not solely a local one. On the contrary, over the winter they apparently managed to find a supporter who was quite close to Henry at court, namely John de la Pole, Earl of Lincoln. Lincoln had been Richard's heir presumptive after his small son had died, but he had come to terms with Henry after Bothworth, or at least he had pretended to do so. Later, in 1487, it would come out that he had been in contact with Francis for a long a while and had supported his first rebellion, the one in 1486. But uh, at the time, Henry apparently suspected nothing, which was to help Francis and the uh, brother Stafford immediately. In early spring 1486, a man named Hugh Conway, who had been party to the rebellion and its plans, betrayed them to Henry VII. He gave out what Francis's plans were, and even when he meant to leave uh, the sanctuary to go to the north to start his rebellion. Henry at first did not believe him, but after a while he came to accept that there was another spot of trouble brewing for him. He listened to Conway's uh, story, but Francis was not caught, which suggests that someone at court had heard that the rebellion had been betrayed and could pass this on to Francis. It would later turn out this man who had passed it on to Francis was John de la Pole, Earl of Lincoln. Francis could therefore flee from sanctuary without trouble, and, um, and so he did in March 1486. He and the brother Stafford split up. The Staffords went to the uh, Midlands, where they had some uh, family supporters. Francis, who had, like Richard, many supporters in the north, went to the north, while the Staffords uh, in the Midlands tried to convince people that Richard's brother's son, the Earl of Warwick, had been uh, freed from the tower where Henry had put him after his accession, And uh, Francis in the north apparently gave uh, no figurehead for the rebellion. His only aim uh, was to kill Henry. However, this failed. He, uh, the Croyland Chronicle uh, states that uh, while Henry was traveling to uh, York, Francis and some of his supporters uh, tried to uh, kidnap Henry to then execute him. However, Henry escaped very closely. He came to York, and there he wanted to celebrate his victory again, and also his victory over the re uh, rebels by uh, staging a, a big celebration for St. George's Day on the 23rd of April. On this day, Francis made another attempt uh, to catch uh, Henry. The Crowland Chronicle says that several people were actually caught in the attempt to do so, and they were hanged. However, Francis could once again escape. The rebellion ended with this, although there were still some places where uh, there were discontent people going to the streets. The brother Stafford once again fled to sanctuary after the rebellion had failed. However, Henry had them pulled out. Humphrey Stafford was hanged, drawn and quartered, but Thomas was uh, pardoned. Francis, however, chose not 
to go to sanctuary again, which was probably lucky for him. According uh, to Polydor Virgil, he chose to go to a supporter of his named Thomas Broughton, and uh, he hid for nearly half a year in Lancashire. However, contemporarily, it was claimed uh, that he was uh, trying to flee England after the rebellion had failed. In a letter written in May 1486, The Countess of Oxford claimed that Francis was on the Isle of Ely trying to uh, find a ship to take him to Burgundy there. We do not know which is correct, but we do know that no, uh, nobody found out where Francis was hiding for well over half a year. In January 1487, however, we do know that Francis, if he hadn't already escaped to Burgundy, left for there to make contact with Richard's sister Margaret, Duchess of Burgundy. Margaret had already taken some uh, Yorkist exiles after Richard's defeat, and she had made it clear that she would support anyone who went against Henry VII. This was not only a personal decision, but also a political one, because uh, Henry was very much uh, inclined to support the French and not Burgundy with his foreign politics. Margaret was, of course, a very important ally for Francis and for the other rebels because she was not only access to a lot of money, but also she was connected to several other uh, nations, most notably the Holy Roman Empire through her stepdaughter's widower, uh, Maximilian I. At the time, he was not yet Maximilian I, but he was to become so. And he also supported the rebellion. There are a lot of questions about this rebellion. It is known in history as the Simnel Rebellion, but one thing we do know for certain is that a pretender was not actually called Lambert Simnel. There's actually no certainty who was the pretender or even who the pretender claimed to be. Nowadays it is mostly accepted that he claimed to be Edward of Warwick, the son of Richard's brother, but uh, at the time this was only one version that circulated. For example, Bernard Andrew, who was close to Henry VII, later claimed that uh, the pretender said to be uh, a son of Edward IV, so one of the princes in the tower. If he really was, this might explain why John, Earl of Lincoln, actually joined in this rebellion as well. As he had been Richard's heir presumptive, it would have made sense for him to rise in his own name. He certainly had a claim. And Francis had already made clear that he did not care who was the figurehead of any rebellion. He just wanted Henry VII to die. If the pretender was actually Edward V or his younger brother, Richard of Shrewsbury, then uh, this would explain why uh, the Earl of Lincoln did not rise in his own name. Richard's accession had barred both those boys from the throne, but Henry VII had married their sister Elizabeth and had overturned this. So that meant that uh, there was no objection in the way of Edward V or his younger brother becoming King of England. They were the only one, as the law stood at the time, who had a better claim than Lincoln. But, as I say, we do not know. In any case, the rebellion started brewing in earnest in February 1487. Henry became aware of this, but it was already too late to do much about it. He could not prevent it. He could just do what he, he was able to to ensure that it failed. Uh, John, Earl of Lincoln, who had been at Henry's court, probably feeding him misinformation until that time, 
left court and went to Burgundy. And it is said that Henry did not know that he was uh, part of the rebellion or that he had been part of the rebellion in the last year until he had left. Interestingly, at the same time that uh, Lincoln left, uh, Henry's mother-in-law, Elizabeth Boothville, was sent to a convent and she was stripped of her possessions. This has sometimes been said to simply be because Henry wanted money, but it is very interesting that this was apparently put to a whole ca council which was assembled to deal with the rebellion and that this council decided to send Elizabeth to a convent, which suggests that she too could have been part of this rebellion. If this was so, uh, this shows that Francis had quite the wide reach when he had planned this rebellion, which is quite remarkable, seeing as he had been in hiding for well over half a year and uh, had therefore managed to contact those closest to Henry without ever being found. In Burgundy, preparations soon ran very high. Maximilian organized mercenaries from what is today Switzerland and from what is today Germany, Bavaria, to support the rebels when they returned to England. Since the House of York was very, very popular in Ireland, the rebels, including Francis, of course, then went to Ireland where the pretender, whoever he was, Edward V, someone claiming to be Edward V, was crowned, according to some contemporary sources, with a lot of support from the Irish. After the coronation, uh, there was even a parliament held in Ireland. This all must have happened very fast, since only two weeks after the coronation, the rebels then left for England. Interestingly, in England, it was mostly Lincoln who was trying to network, find more supporters, while Francis was uh, marching his army, trying to attack many of Henry VII's men so that uh, they would lose their power and their equipment and would not be able to be much use of uh, against them in the battle that was sure to follow. However, while Francis uh, succeeded at least partially in this, and uh, he managed to drive the Earl of Oxford away and steal most of his equipment shortly before what uh, became the Battle of Stoke, Lincoln was not quite as successful. Maybe because they were sick of fighting, or maybe because they were afraid what would happen if they were to support the losing Yorkist side, if they would indeed lose. Not many were ready to uh, support him and Francis and the rebellion. However, they were not uh, discouraged, and they were ready to meet Henry and his men in battle. And this happened on the 16th of June, 1487. This battle, which is nowadays called the Battle of Stoke, took longer than the Battle of Bothworth did. It lasted for almost three hours, and it hung in balance for quite a while. But eventually, the Tudor side was once again victorious. It is not quite known why this is so. There are several theories. According to Polydor Vergil, it was because the Irish fighters who had agreed to support the rebels had uh, weapons which were old-fashioned and couldn't really uh, hold their own against the Tudor army's new weapons. Uh, there's also a theory that the opposite is true, that the mercenaries' very newfangled uh, guns were in the habit of backfiring, and therefore the more traditional arrows of Henry VII's men uh, were eventually victorious. The Earl of Lincoln died in this battle. Francis, however, did not. 
but we do not know what happened to him afterwards. He was last seen swimming on his horse across the river Trent, but afterwards his fate is shrouded in mystery. There are several theories, but personally I think the most likely is that he once again returned to Burgundy. Uh, a safe conduct was issued for him a year later to Scotland, but there is no evidence that he ever took it. It seems most likely to me that he returned to Burgundy where Margaret of York tried to uh, secure that safe conduct for him, but that Francis died there possibly of wounds before the safe conduct was ever granted. And that concludes this episode of the Tudor's Dynasty podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. You can find my show notes from this episode and how to become a patron at tutorsdynastypodcast.com. Don't want to miss an episode? Be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Patreon, or Podbean. Intro and outro music called Folk Round by Kevin McLeod, Incompetech.com, Creative Commons license via filmmusic.io. Thanks for checking out the Tudor's Dynasty podcast. Read more. Read more on the blog at TudorsDynasty.com. Follow Tudor's Dynasty on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe to Tudor's Dynasty on iTunes. Thanks for listening.